Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Last week, we established some bookends. Looking in Zechariah 7 and then jumping ahead towards the end of Zechariah 8, we saw the question that really defines this phase of Zechariah's prophetic mission. The question about whether or not it was time to stop fasting and start feasting. We jumped ahead to the end of that question so we could get the big picture, but now we're going back and we're filling in the gaps, so to speak. And so our text this morning is the rest of Zechariah chapter 7. Now, if you remember what I said last time, what's happening here is kind of interesting. God, through Zechariah, is basically restating the case of the former prophets. So the prophets who came prior to the exile. He's going to, think about it this way, like re-preach their sermons, kind of go over their greatest hits, kind of give you the core of their message as a reminder of what the problem was that led to the exile. So in the rest of chapter 7, and then we'll see as well in chapter 8, we're getting a digest of the former prophets and what happens when their word was not listened to. So you might think of this really as as God's refresher course on the prophets for his returned exiles, reminding us of what those prophets said, reminding the exiles of how they became exiles in the first place. And there's three parts to this reminder in chapter 7. There's God's call, their resistance, and finally the result. God's call, their resistance, and then the result. We'll look at each of those things, starting with God's call, which is in the first few verses there, 8, 9, and 10. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments and show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. That's the call. And if you look at it, it has two parts. There's like a positive side and a negative side. There's a command to do certain things and then a command not to do other things. As you look at those words and and you hear them in your mind, is there anything that they remind you of? Is there any passage in the prophets that this sounds like? When I read this, it's hard not to think about Micah. If you take a look at Micah chapter 6, right? if you turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, you find that this question of fasting and feasting is actually anticipated, along with its answer, in Micah chapter 6. We'll look at just a, a brief section leading up to verse 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? A similar kind of questioning to what we have saw from Bethel. Is it time to stop 
fasting? Is God pleased with us now? Have we done what we needed to do in order to make him happy? But also a similar kind of answer. It turns out the things you've been doing are not the things that God desires at all. Instead, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So this word from Zechariah is nothing new. These are the words that Micah spoke in the days of Hezekiah before the fall of Judah. And now they're coming back and the people are being told to remember. Being given this positive call, this command to render and to show. To render true judgments. Or in Micah's terms, to do justice. That the people should be just in their actions. And also to show kindness, to show mercy. To love kindness, in Micah's words. Again, the prophets are speaking here as one. Now, when you think about this call, this command, right, to be just and to love kindness, what's the point? Well, if you think about it, the thing we celebrate in our salvation, the thing that is so wonderful about grace is this kind of combination of God's justice and his mercy. We sing praise to God as a God who is just and merciful. And now the prophets say, right, and he wants you to be like that too. That God calls his people to replicate his character. God is just and God is merciful, and he doesn't just want you to sing about it. He wants you to be that way, to do those God-like things in your own life in your public life, and in your private life to do justice and to love kindness. Then to drive the point home, he gives us this negative call as well. Not just what you should do, but what you shouldn't do specifically. And what you shouldn't do specifically is oppress. You should not be an oppressor because it's oppression that leads to desolation. So don't oppress. He says, and he gives, again, you might say there's a a two-part focus here. So there's one that we could say is a focus on society, and then one that's a focus on the heart, right? So the social focus is this command that he gives, don't oppress the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. He gives us four types of people that we shouldn't oppress. And if you're thinking in your head, making that list and thinking, good, okay, So I can oppress the other people, just not these. You're exactly who the prophet is talking to. Don't oppress anyone, but especially these four types of people, the widows, the fatherless, the sojourners or foreigners, and the poor. Well, why these four? Why single them out for special treatment? What's so special about them? What do they have in common, in other words? Well, here's what's interesting. He singles out examples of people who are especially dependent. People who are especially dependent. The widow has lost her husband. The fatherless have lost their father. The sojourner has no family in the land that he dwells. The social structures that would have overlooked them, would have given them support and comfort They don't have those things. They've been taken away. The poor lack the resources to get through life easily. 
each of these people are especially dependent. We are all dependent as human beings, but people who find themselves in these circumstances feel that dependence especially hard. Remember, on Easter Sunday when we talked about the loss of innocence, we said what was lost when innocence was lost, and the answer was what was lost was the sense of dependence without fear. We know we're dependent, but innocence is being dependent without fear, without anxiety, without having to worry about what your weakness will mean for you or those you love. And that's what God wants us to give to these people, to those who are especially dependent. He calls upon us to treat them in such a way that they have no cause for fear, that in their dependence, they don't feel the insecurity that comes from oppression, from exploitation. In other words, to make it really simple, God points out to us those who are most dependent and says, I want you to treat them the way you want me to treat you. And when God says this, there's also an implied judgment there. If you don't do what I'm telling you to do, don't expect me to do for you what you would like me to do. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But here made very clear that we should have a special care and concern for the people God has brought into our lives who are particularly dependent. So that we might, as best we can, give to them the security that we long for ourselves. In addition to that social focus, there's also an internal focus, a focus once again on the heart. But it's not just that you should not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor. You also should stop devising evil against another in your heart. In other words, it's not enough just not to do the bad things, but you should stop desiring the bad things, desiring the evil. It's not enough to act justly and to act mercifully. We must turn our hearts towards justice and our hearts toward mercy. We must desire justice and desire mercy and not just do them grudgingly because God said we have to. There's a deeper call here on our lives. The people received that call before the exile, and when they received it, they didn't listen. Their resistance was extreme. And that's chronicled here in the next few verses, verses 11 and 12. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So their resistance is really strong, and and the strength of it is illustrated by the, the way that God talks about it. Stubborn shoulders and stopped ears. Hearts made not just hard, but diamond hard. Because if they hear, they would have to listen and obey, and they don't want to do that. They don't want to change, and so instead, they harden themselves. Now, the prophets before the fall preached this message over and over and over again. 
We look at Micah. In Micah's day, there were people in the religious establishment who rebuked prophets like Micah for saying that there was a fall coming. They said it's impossible that this city of God will ever see destruction, and you should just shut your mouth. Don't say these negative things. But the prophets had continued to carry God's message, and their hearers had continued to refuse to hear. In other words, they'd refused to change their hearts and their behavior. They kept doing the things that were leading to their destruction. They didn't render justice. They didn't show kindness and mercy. They oppressed the widows and the fatherless. They oppressed the sojourners and the poor as if it didn't matter. They devised evil in their hearts towards one another as if there would be no consequences because they were the people of God in the city of God and they were free to live however they wanted to live. And now, in hindsight, Zechariah is pointing them back to these days and saying, this is why Jerusalem fell. It was not the power of Assyria. It was not the power of Babylon. It was the hardness of your hearts that led to the fall of Jerusalem. They resisted, in other words, the message. And there was a result for that resistance that we see here in verses 13 and 14. God, his great anger came upon them from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Those are chilling words. To anyone who's ever known what God commands and not done it anyway, these should be chilling words. God says, I called to them and they didn't hear, so when they called to me, I didn't hear. That's judgment. That's judgment for their disobedience. They reaped what they had sown. In other words, their practice of oppression led to their own desolation their own destruction, their own downfall. Ironically, God says, I scattered them among nations they'd never known. God said, do not oppress the sojourner, but they oppressed the sojourner anyway, and then they became sojourners in a land they had never known. Those who oppressed the exiles became exiles themselves. The people who had once been the oppressors were now the widows and the orphans. They were now the sojourners and the poor because they had not softened their hearts when God had called. When you think about it, from the very beginning, in the earliest pages of Haggai and Zechariah, we saw this sense that the people had of a kind of despair. Like they've returned to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is a ruin. There's so much that needs to be rebuilt that it seems almost impossible to undo this destruction. But what was the source of their despair? What was the thing that got them so depressed when they look around? It's all this desolation. And now Zechariah is saying the thing that that has stolen your hope and has filled you with despair is the result of the disobedience of your fathers because they wouldn't listen the way you're not listening now, all the things 
that you despair over came to pass. So he's connecting. Like the, the world that, that fills you with despair, the consequences of the hardness of heart that got us here. If they hardened their hearts, and God brought their land to desolation. That would be the fate of the returned exiles as well if they did not turn their hearts to God. We too are exiles living in this world, living in a time of exile, and this call to God's people 500 years before the birth of Christ continues to be a call to God's people today. Even now, God calls us to render justice. He calls us to show mercy. He calls us to turn our backs on evil and oppression. And there is a warning buried in that call to us. If you neglect the exiles, you will become one. If you neglect the exiles, you will become one. Now, when you hear those words, they sound pretty hard, and they should. Warnings need to be hard so that you can see how serious they are. God says, oppress the widows and the orphans, and you will become widows and orphans. Oppress the sojourners, and you will become sojourners. Oppress the poor, and you will become poor. But not because God's heart is hardened against you, because your heart is hardened against him. And if your heart doesn't soften because the word is proclaimed, there are other ways to soften hearts. Experience. God sent his people into exile, not because he had abandoned them, not because he had written them off, not because he intended that they would be lost forever in that dispersion. He sent them into exile to soften their hearts. He sent them into exile so that they would hear what he was calling them to and not just turn a stubborn shoulder to his call for justice and mercy. One way or another, God will soften our hearts. We want to learn by example, not experience. We want to learn from God's people to care about what God tells us to care about so that we don't have to become what God has called us to care about in order to soften our hearts. path of oppression leads to desolation. There's no getting around it. If we oppress, then all that we love, all that we care for will be desolate. And before there can be restoration, that oppression has to end. The end of oppression is what opens the door to restoration. And that's the good news. The good news as you read these words, even though you can get goosebumps when you read these words, God says, because I called and you didn't hear, when you call, I will not hear. And you can shake a little bit in fear and say, don't let that be so. But there is good news there because the people that these words were addressed to are being warned not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And when you're being warned not to repeat the mistakes of the past, that's hopeful. It means you might have a different outcome than what happened before. God is not telling these returned exiles, there's no hope for you. 
you're just as doomed as they were to make the same mistakes. In fact, it's just the opposite. This is a call to repentance. This is a call to soften hearts. And if they were called to soften their hearts, we too are called to do the same thing. He's repeating the sermon from the former prophets, not just to rub it in, but so that the oppression might finally end, so that people might finally listen. They're getting another chance. It seemed as if all their chances had run out. The God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and all they'd done is not listen and occasionally persecuted and killed the prophets, and then judgment. And after that, destruction and desolation. But now, after it seemed like all hope was lost, there's hope once more. There's a call to repentance once more. And it sounded like the the sermon, the time to listen to the former prophets, that that had passed, and now God is saying, no, it's not. It's not over. It's not over. Listen, I'll preach it again, and this time you hear it and you respond to my call. That's what's happening here. The end of oppression opens the door to restoration, and the work of restoration is what Christ came to do. God is here to restore. Christ is here to make all things new. So this is not a hopeless call, but it is a wake-up call. It is a reality check. We've got to end the oppression. When God calls, in other words, we have to answer with softened hearts. And then God restores us. In Psalm 15, verse 1, those famous words, a soft answer turns away wrath. Practically speaking, someone comes at you furious, and and it seems like the best way to disarm that fury is, is with gentleness. You imagine kind of the angry person kind of railing against you, but because you give a soft answer, it, it disarms them. It puts them off balance, and, and, and the anger fades away. But there are other ways to understand a proverb like that. There are other kinds of soft answers that turn away wrath. When we think about the wrath of God justly, directed towards our sin. Think of the way that a soft answer can turn away wrath there. We answer God's call not with hardness, not with a resolve to continue to do the things that God has commanded us to stop, but instead we renounce evil in our hearts. That's a soft answer that turns away wrath. When we determine to bear no ill will toward one another, regardless of what other people deserve in our eyes. When we resolve no longer to devise evil in our hearts, that's a soft answer. When we hear Jesus say, love one another, and we don't respond the way they responded at first by asking, okay, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Skeptically, trying to rein in somehow this command to love one another to fence it in on a technicality, only to have Jesus turn it around and say, your neighbor is whoever you serve, not permitting us really to draw any of those lines because, of course, the Good Samaritan discovers it's the sojourner, it's the foreigner 
who is his neighbor and who becomes his neighbor because he loves him and cares for him. I think it is a great tragedy and a a shame for the church in our day that when we hear that call to love our neighbors, we respond, well, who's my neighbor? What does love really look like? Maybe I'll just love differently. Jesus commands us to love. Don't devise evil in your heart. Instead, love mercy. Show kindness towards one another. Err on the side of love. And take care of the people in your life and world who are especially dependent. Love isn't a feeling. Love isn't a mindset. It's not a belief system or an ideology. It's a kind of action that flows from the heart. When God brings people into our lives who are especially dependent, we should treat them the way we want to be treated by God, because in God's eyes, we're all especially dependent. None of us are very much better or very much higher than any of the rest of us. So treat other people not the way you think they deserve, the way you want God to treat you. Not because they've earned it, but because none of us can earn it and yet we desire it from a merciful God. When you think about the Micah mandate in Micah 6.8, think of it as a Jesus mandate, because it's Jesus who calls to us to join him in the work of restoration by living this way, by loving these things and caring for these people. This is what love looks like, and love is supposed to be a hallmark of Jesus' people. Jesus says, this is how they'll know you, by the love that you have for one another. And if that's not how they know us, then it can only be because our hearts are hardened. It's because we've been called to love, but we don't want to do it. And so we turn a hard shoulder. We, we make our hearts diamonds hard so we can tell ourselves there are other ways to please God than the ways that he has commanded. Zechariah is here to tell us it's not so. There is no other way to please God than what he has commanded. And it's exactly this that Christ through the Spirit is working in your life. This is the work. God will soften your heart. That's what grace does. So again, a message for us in all this. Jesus is here to do restoration work. Restoration work in the world, in creation, but also in our hearts. Our hearts need to be rebuilt. Our hearts need to be shaped and molded and softened. And that's also part of the work that Jesus does in us. Jesus is here to do restoration work, but what that means is Jesus' people have been drafted into restoration work as well. He doesn't do this work by himself. He enlists us to be his fellow laborers in that work of restoration. But we can't restore our church, and we can't restore our city before our hearts are restored. And when our hearts are restored, That other work flows from the restored heart, which means we have to take these words seriously. It means we have to assume that that we're being oppressive 
And we need to take special care to end the oppression that we ourselves are guilty of. Don't harden yourself. Don't turn a stubborn shoulder to these words. Instead, listen, soften your heart, and live. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.